But so, hey, everybody, thanks you for uh, tuning in. And uh, I'm super excited to talk with Ryan Andrews uh, from ryandandrews.com, who is, uh, who is a, an author, has written for several really prestigious platforms. And probably what's most familiar with most of you guys is, is uh, that he has written for the Alan Aragon Research Review as well. Uh, which is something that uh, probably most of my listeners are familiar with. And uh, Ryan has put out a lot of good work about uh, concerning the sustainability of of what we put into our bodies, which is food. So, um, and this is something that I've been interested in for a long time. And Ryan is the first person to actually talk about this. So um, with that, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me for this call. And um, yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, hey, well, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm doing really well. I'm excited to chat. I mean, I, you were just telling me about some of your listeners and some of the other guests you've had on. And my roots in the nutrition world are really uh, in fitness and bodybuilding. That's that's where I started in my teens. So I have a soft spot for that area. And I always kind of have an ongoing interest in that area for sure. And like we'll talk about over the years, I kind of have evolved a bit in my thinking and how I view food. But uh but yeah, I love, love the fitness, bodybuilding, nutrition world, so I'm excited to be here. Yeah, cool. So maybe let's start there. So um, so you mentioned that that's how you started, and then you kind of evolved further from there. So how was how did you get into the whole uh, fitness and nutrition kind of game? How did that start for you? Yeah, it started when I was about 14 years old. I, I My first class in high school was a weightlifting class, and I was immediately hooked uh, just from day one, the idea that I could change how, how I was living and, and lift weights and do exercise and change my appearance was uncharted territory. My family wasn't, you know, a health minded family or anything. So it was revolutionary for me and very powerful. And I went on to do some of the things that a, a typical exercise bodybuilding junkie does. I got the Arnold Schwarzenegger encyclopedia for Christmas and started uh, buying supplements at GNC and accumulating protein powders and Right. learning more, reading muscle magazines and all that stuff. And uh, I went on to compete uh, about 10 times before I turned 20 years old. So my, my teens were really all about competitive bodybuilding. Right. And when I made it to college, I started studying nutrition and exercise and learned that I could potentially work in this field. And I went on to graduate school and continued my studies and became a dietitian. And throughout all of those years, I was getting, I guess, further away from kind of the bodybuilding world. And the curtain was pulled back in terms of looking at where food comes from during graduate school for me. So there was just kind of this gradual shift of looking at food and saying, all right, what are the macros? How's it going to benefit or influence my body composition and health? And there was a shift to looking at a food and saying, all right, how is this food choice going to influence everything else, uh, farm workers, animal welfare, um, soil health, water pollution, all the other things that uh, there's a ripple effect from our food choices. So that that was a gradual evolution that occurred throughout my schooling and my early 20s. And uh, it's really become my main area of focus over the last several years, the whole sustainable eating idea. Right. So yeah, just like I mentioned to you before uh, we started recording is that uh, originally I 
I just wanted to have someone on who who is knowledgeable about the topic of nutrition and sustainability. And someone recommended uh, you as as a as a guest. And before that, I wasn't familiar with your work. And I first I just saw that okay, you've written about farming practices and and um, how to save the planet by how we eat. And then I started uh, googling after you more thoroughly. And then I realized like oh wow, like this guy was actually really serious about fitness, or and still is into fitness. Um, so it's, it's really cool to have, have someone who is involved with both sides, uh, of nutrition. And so obviously, um, when someone is involved with bodybuilding and, and body composition oriented kind of eating, then as you said, it's all about macros and it's all about how food is going to influence how we look and how we feel. But how did that shift occur? I mean, you mentioned that you started learning about what goes into food production and all of that stuff. But did you start to first care less about your uh, your body and what food do- does with your body? Or did the sustainability side of things become so important that it just simply outweighed your concerns about bodybuilding and fitness? Yeah, it, there were a couple things that happened that were pretty... Um, that shifted my course in terms of how I viewed things that were kind of an overnight change. And then some other things that have just been kind of very gradual shifts for, for example, I think when, let's see, I think I was 22 years old. So gosh, 14 years ago now, uh, during graduate school, uh, I was taking a course about, uh, ethics in using animals in research. And it was just a required course, and so I was going through it. And the more I learned about using animals in research, it just got me thinking more about uh, I wasn't, I didn't feel very comfortable about using animals in certain types of experimental research. And so I was talking to a lab assistant one day, and then she brought up the idea of eating meat. And I had never thought about food in that way before. You know, I always just had my my unit of chicken, and it was X grams of protein, and so I remember that day quite clearly when I was 22, and she kind of brought that question up just in a very innocent way. And I forever have looked at food differently from that point. So it, my my gateway into it was just kind of thinking about animal welfare, but then it just, the curtain was pulled back, and I started considering everything about where our food choices, or how our food choices influence everything else. So like I mentioned, not only animal welfare, but farm laborers, and their welfare and how they get paid and their well-being and then soil health and what chemicals are applied to soil and farming practices. So in my late 20s and early 30s, I really started to shift from spending a lot of my time uh, in the fitness world to spending my time on sustainable farms and helping out there and learning more about it and talking to farmers and going to conferences and helping with nonprofits that do food uh, food waste recovery and and things like that. So there were a couple, like I said, big shifts in my life, but a lot of the other things have just been gradual uh, discoveries and accumulating new knowledge and talking to people. And uh, it just felt like a whole world that I that was kind of hidden from me. You know, it was something I had never thought about for 22 years. And then all of a sudden I was thinking, gosh, food comes from somewhere. So this is really important. I mean, we need to start thinking about this and talking about this. Yeah, and actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because one thing that I was just really impressed when looking into your your work and just listening to podcasts, episodes that you appeared on is that 
a lot of people will come across to information like you came across at that time, but just simply the the way that a lot of people communicate these concepts. When when I look at vegan, vegetarian YouTube vloggers and things like that, it's just that it's almost like this scary, sometimes for lack of a better term, almost sociopathic tone that they're so so offensive or defensive, just just so kind of aggressive that turns a lot of people away and um, maybe you were kind of luckier at the time that someone could uh, communicate these things to you in a way that didn't turn you off but um, what do you think about the way that um, general communication about these issues is, is happening in kind of common media and just to finish my thought one thing that was imp impressive about your approach is that your way of talking about these things is just so calm so non-defensive so non-aggressive that I think it does a lot of service to people in kind of facilitating more open-mindedness about these issues, I guess. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, you know, I, I spent many years uh, working with a company, uh, many, many of your listeners are probably familiar with called Precision Nutrition. And we did, uh, we still do a lot of online coaching. And so I, I think my ability to kind of communicate in a way that's maybe a little more calm and, uh, brings up important questions and allows people to kind of be introspective about their own lives probably comes from my experience in just generally coaching people in nutrition. And I, I, I don't believe that really getting in somebody's face and telling them they're wrong or what to do, or you have all the answers. I don't think that is effective for helping people um, discover new things. Plus I think it's kind of arrogant to say that you know, nobody has all the information or all the answers about everything. You know, I've never, I haven't read every journal article or every book or talked to every expert. So I, I try to be kind of humble in my approach and realize that I don't know everything and I'm always discovering uh, new information and talking to new people who have a different perspective. So I, I appreciate your kind words. I, I do. I see certain people that definitely turn me off uh, in how they communicate information about food and eating and yeah what i i like to just bring things up and get people hopefully thinking and importantly listen to people as well you know people are juggling a lot when it comes to food choices and nutrition changes you know we have cultural traditions and taste preferences and budgetary concerns and family dynamics and all these things we're juggling and then our own health and body comp and things like that so there's a lot that we have to think about every day when it comes to our nutrition. And when you add in these really big picture things like uh, environmental health and farm worker welfare and animal welfare, it becomes a lot. And some people are ready to take it on and they feel empowered and other people feel kind of crushed under the pressure. So uh, yeah, I'm always looking at how I can best help people and communicate these issues. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so before we actually get into the um, more specific questions, uh, let's just um, start with, you know, for people who are solely viewing food as a means of altering or manipulating their body composition, which is probably the majority of my, my listeners, which is already, I guess, more awareness than the average person has towards food because the average person is just eating food as a means of for, for pleasure or just to sustain their body. But if, if we have to give like a, a pitch for why is it worthy to actually look at food, not just as a means of uh, benefiting ourselves, but also benefiting the planet, uh, what do you think is the benefit of uh, having that outlook and, and mindset? Well, well, first let me say, I, 
I do think that people who are already considering their own health and body composition, I mean, that's huge. Not a lot of people are doing that. So adding on maybe another level of consideration with food, I think people in the fitness community are primed and ready to go because they already care to a certain degree. Um, so I first want to say that, but gosh, I mean, I, I think that body composition is one thing to consider, obviously, but I don't think it's exaggeration to say that our food choices influence everything else. You know, I, a, a few years ago, if somebody said, hey, Ryan, yeah, your food choices, they influence everything else in the world, the food choices you make every day. I would say, hey, slow down, slow down. That's an exaggeration. Um, that That's unrealistic. But I do believe now, the, the further I, I, I get into this world of sustainable nutrition, that the food choices we make every day have a huge ripple effect in the world. And I've already mentioned a few of those areas and they spread far and wide, you know, animals and farm workers and soil health and water pollution. I mean, these things are absolutely huge. I mean, to the future of a sustainable place to live. So whether your listeners have kids or grandkids, they're concerned about having a nice place to live or, People just have a general concern for future generations. Uh, our food choices play a major role into that. And so, yeah, I think anybody who cares about body comp and health and they say, gosh, you know, why should I even consider this to, to say it, you know, kind of bluntly, our food choices influence everything else. So it's, it's a big deal. In terms of having an influence on things, um, a big kind of ongoing debate, not just not just when it comes to nutrition, but anything environmentally related. So be it recycling or or just uh, littering, anything like that. There's always this big um, debate in terms of what actually produces big results. Is it the top-down kind of approach where we target uh, governmental actions and policymaking and those kinds of things? And where does the individual's not just responsibility, but the overall impact that we can even hope to achieve by targeting individuals and people who are listening to this podcast or podcasts much bigger than this. Um, it's always a big um, kind of uh, dilemma whether it's it's worthy even to target individual people because ultimately people are just so fallible in terms of uh, they, they have their day-to-day -day struggles and we, we can only expect so much of them to do out of their own goodwill. So, so where do you kind of stand on this? Do you think it's worth um, targeting the average person with this? Uh, I do. I, I think there are benefits to both approaches. Uh, the the top-down approach and kind of shaping the path for people, I, I do think is useful in, in certain aspects. I mean, some people would argue and say, hey, leave me alone. You know, I just, I want the choice to do whatever I want to do. You, there shouldn't be any, you know, rules or laws or taxes or anything like that around foods. Uh and I, I, I don't know if I have a hard stance on that. I think whether we like it or not, I mean, there are things in place every day that, that help to shape the choices we make, whether it's a, a tax or a advertising campaign. But yeah, I mean, it, advertising, I think, is actually a huge area that we're, we're influenced by that we don't really fully grasp. Um, but yeah, beyond the top down approach, I do think it's worth it to, 
uh, inform people and empower people. I mean, a lot of people just have zero awareness about food and where it comes from. I mean, I, I've been starting to work with more and more kids. And when you ask kids why food choices matter, the good news is that many of them will say health. And that's good. You know, it's good that they understand the connection between what they put in their body and their ultimate health. But very, very, very few, if any, will say soil health or water pollution or greenhouse gas emissions or animal welfare. Like there's just people aren't connecting the dots between what they choose for breakfast, lunch and dinner and all of these other big picture things in the world. So I do think it's worth it to talk about it, educate people about it, whether it's in schools or on podcasts or writing articles for blogs or newspapers or magazines. Because I just like for me, I mean, I always look back to my upbringing. I was somebody who cared a lot about nutrition and I didn't think about anything beyond my own body composition uh, when it came to nutrition until I was 22 years old. And I was somebody who was going to university and becoming educated and it still wasn't being talked about. Uh, so I do think it's it's an area we we can spend time on. And I think for people who are ready to, to take in the information, we'll take it. And if they're not, they're not. And that's okay. So when looking at uh, nutrition and sustainability, what would be like a good place to start? Like what are some of the, the big rocks, the, the low-hanging fruits that we can we can address or that the average person who who is willing to commit to at, at least some effort uh, to to actually orient their nutrition in a, in a direction where it's actually having a beneficial impact on the planet's sustainability, um, what are some of the big key big rocks that that are worthy to to mention that are relatively low effort and uh, big return on investment? Yeah, I love this question. I. I spent several years really trying to immerse myself, like I said, in the world of sustainable nutrition. I still do, whether it's helping on farms or reading journal articles or talking to nonprofits who do food waste recovery or anything. And I, I really tried to go into this exploration with an open mind and come away with exactly what you're asking about. And and at this point, I think the top three things that have a really, really big influence on environmental sustainability with our food choices are number one, uh, finding your kind of minimal dose needed of animal foods. So I guess eating more of a plant-based diet, whatever you want to call it, it's going to be different for everybody, how many animal foods they include, but that is a, a huge one. And number two is getting clear on how much food you are wasting because wasted food is another really major issue that I don't think a lot of people are thinking about and wasted food. I mean, there's kind of the obvious downside of wasted food where if you throw food away, you are really throwing away all the resources that went into producing the food. But the other bummer is that when you send a food to the landfill, it goes to the landfill and it, it releases very, potent um, greenhouse gases, most notably methane. And that's really, really bad news um, for the future of the planet. So food waste is another one. And the third one is trying to buy food, no matter what food it is, from farms that are incorporating more sustainable uh, practices. So 
a shorthand here in America is uh, it's called organic food. Now, organically grown food isn't doesn't solve all the problems of sustainable food production. They can still incorporate practices that aren't the best. However, they the goal of organic food production tends to be more of a sustainable model to keep soil healthy in the long term. So that's a nice shortcut in America is to buy organically produced food. Locally grown foods in America often uh, are closer towards the organic end of the spectrum. So locally grown foods can also be good. Uh, and those are really the, the big three. I mean, if somebody wanted to tackle one of those or all or two or all three, getting more of a plant-based diet, whatever that looks like for them, uh, getting clear on how much food they're wasting, especially at home, because we waste a lot more than we think, uh, usually about 25% of all the food we purchase at home, and then trying to support farms that are incorporating more sustainable uh, growing practices. Right, excellent. So uh, let's maybe tackle these uh, one by one. So so let's start with, with that that probably most people kind of expected, which is the animal product question. Um what what is the general um kind of couple of key bullet points like what what is generally problematic about uh, consuming large amounts of animal products what makes animal product consumption an unsustainable practice in general these i should also mention these are very complex issues so it's always tough to kind of bring it down to a, a sound bite and say well yeah, here's the yeah. here's the takeaway but i'll do my best to kind of make it um digestible for the listeners so the big thing with animal product consumption is uh, think about inputs and outputs. So to produce animal products, whether it's meat, dairy, eggs, uh, it requires a lot of inputs. So inputs, I mean growing feed for these animals, um, uh, water intake for the animals, upkeep of the animals. There's a lot of inputs that goes into producing animal foods, and you don't get that much beneficial stuff back out. So you do get a concentrated source of protein and calories in the form of meat, milk, and eggs. But uh, the conversion isn't very efficient of all of the inputs uh, to the, the useful outputs that you get. So it's kind of an inefficient conversion of resources. So that's a big part of it. Uh, the other part is livestock production, uh, are in, in general, is responsible for about 15% of all greenhouse gas emissions. So that's, uh, if you think of all human-generated greenhouse gases, 15% are specifically from our production of livestock. So it's a big chunk, and that's, I mean, that's just livestock production. Uh, the other part of animal product uh, production is water use. So, I mean, water consumption to produce animal products is... Uh, it's very large, and it's not usually for what people think. A lot of people think, well, animals drink a lot of water. Well, yes, they do drink a lot of water, but a lot of it is to water the feed crops that are grown to feed the animals, which these feed crops are extremely water-intensive. And then finally, with animal products, it's uh, waste production. So a small amount of waste from animals, whether it's urine or manure, is not a problem, but can actually be quite useful on smaller integrated crop livestock farms where they can utilize that waste and it can help to build soil fertility and grow other plants. And that's great. But what we run into right now is just 
there's such a high concentration of animals in small spaces that there's just too much waste and it's leading to a lot of um, nutrient pollution. So too much uh, phosphorus, too much, too much uh, nitrogen is being lost in this waste and it's going into waterways and polluting lakes and oceans and it's even entering the atmosphere in certain cases which can lead to nitrous oxide pollution which is extremely uh, an extremely potent greenhouse gas. So those are some of the big ones with uh, animal animal uh, foods and livestock production. You want me to just keep rolling and talk a little more about food waste and sustainable farming? Um, for, I, I just want to interject. Uh, actually, I have two questions in my head regarding animal uh, food consumption and, and animal husbandry. So one uh, kind of counter argument that I tend to hear about this is the ecological need for for animals, for soil health, and just to keep an ecological balance between, you know, all the food chain and, and you know, herbivores, uh, omnivore, uh, carnivores, and, and, and all of these animals that, that we need. And if we were to eliminate these animals from farmlands, then it would cause ecological problems. So what do you think about this argument? Uh, I, I agree. I agree with that argument. Um, and livestock can be extremely useful not only environmentally, where if they are appropriately grazed and managed in the right way, they can help to rebuild ecosystems and conserve water and even sequester carbon in the soil. So they can be uh, very environmentally friendly. And then in certain parts of the world, livestock are important for labor on farms. They're a source of food security, you know, converting inedible vegetation into a concentrated source of calories and protein. So I, I definitely think livestock can be a sustainable and very useful uh, aspect of farming. I, I think what what we're running into right now is that we just our demand for animal products is so high with our growing human population that we it's really becoming tough to produce animal products in a sustainable way. We, we're we're becoming dependent not on these sustainable, you know, farms that we're talking about doing these uh, health, healthy, long-term sustainable things. We, those type of farms can't really sustain uh, the demand that we're placing on, 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 on them. And uh, for example, I think one of the statistics that always jumps out to me, uh, in America, we eat about 223 pounds of meat and fish per person per year. And if you compare that to our bean intake, for example, another nutrient-dense food that's a good source of protein, we only consume about seven pounds of beans per year. So, I mean, even bringing something like that more into the balance where maybe you're eating closer to 100 pounds of meat and fish per year and more like 100 pounds of beans per year, that decrease in meat consumption might allow these more sustainable farms to proliferate and become the norm. You know, instead, we we are reliant on CAFOs, which is concentrated animal feeding operations. And these are the the farms that are uh, putting a lot of animals in a small space and growing feed inefficiently. And there's too much waste pollution. And so I think that's what leads to the problems uh, that we see a lot with animal products. Right. So um, so for for my uh, bodybuilder and body composition concerned listeners, and, and I am one of those as well. Uh, who you know the 
what these people generally consume at least like 100 to 100 more like 150 grams of protein per day um and and for them saying that well just don't consume that much protein people in the fitness world that's, that's just not going to happen so um what what would you advise for them like what would be do you, do you think that is achievable while being generally environmentally uh, sustainable with your nutrition uh yeah i definitely do i think um i think exploring some other ways to get to that that protein goal you have each day uh i think it's worth exploring those things so whether it's you know having lentils or beans or something for one of your meals and keeping meat or eggs or whatever else you use at your other meals and kind of seeing how that works out to get to your protein total uh i think that's an easy swap so maybe one meal a day trying just another plant a concentrated plant source of protein like legumes protein powders i think are another easy switch for people so most most people I talk to tend to use more of a dairy-based protein or even an egg-based protein and swapping over to like a, uh, a legume-based protein like peas uh, or there's even like hemp-based proteins. That can be another easy swap if, if you're doing shakes every day like post-workout or something. And I mean another consideration is what uh, type of meat you eat and what I mean by that is I remember I, I was working with one guy in, in uh, he was a, a, a large bodybuilder eating a lot of animal products. And his solution was to work with a local farmer and buy essentially like half of a, a cow. So that was his his meat for the for I don't know how long it was, six months or a year or something like that. But so instead of relying on a bunch of different animals produced in unsustainable ways, he found the most sustainable local farmer and essentially purchased half of a cow. So he, that's how he was working to you know, decrease his environmental footprint. So I think there's a lot of things to explore. And then even within animal foods, considering maybe uh, a little bit less meat and more eggs, because eggs are, are quite a bit more efficient in terms of um, the inputs and outputs that goes into producing eggs. So you could say, hey, maybe I'll have eggs a couple more times a week instead of so much meat. Or something like that. I think there's a lot of a lot of different avenues to explore. Yeah, and and actually, um, touching on factory farming for a second, I remember um, I, I actually had this argument um, repeatedly with different people that I, I always said that I think I mean factory farming is pretty much the in, in, definitely in the Western world at least it's kind of the 21st century. Uh, equivalent of like Holocaust or something. I mean, it's it's just outrageous what's happening there. I mean, maybe that's a nasty way to explain it, but it's it really is quite quite unbelievable if you think about the magnitude of uh, the scale at which it's happening and the brutality of of the day to day suffering of those animals. And I've always always said that meat should be basically a luxury product that not everybody can afford, but that should that would make it possible to produce meat in more sustainable ways and the counter argument for that was that it would be unethical because it, then it would make high protein food uh, less available for people and for kids that are growing and things of that nature it would just be it would just be problematic for human health and that's just not ethical but i mean for the average person who doesn't even require that much protein it would actually be totally doable with a lot of uh, plant products and just maybe a small amount of uh, eggs, some dairy, and um, just a much smaller amount of, of meat. Uh, would you agree with that? Oh, completely. I mean, 
obviously people who are going through intense bouts of training uh, have increased protein needs. So it can be a little bit more difficult to hit that total. But yeah, I think for the average person who's not going through any type of training and, and just maybe eating to support their existing you know body and, and base health, I, I definitely think it's doable to hit, hit protein goals and other nutrient goals with a mostly plant-based diet. And like you said too, I mean, you hit it right exactly on the nail on the head. I mean, it, when you talk to pretty much anybody, nobody wants to support factory farming conditions that are inhumane for animals. You know, so I think if we can start to buy foods that support farms that are doing, doing it the right way and raising animals in a humane way and then supporting, uh, plant-based foods like beans and nuts and seeds and things like that and just making those more of the norm i think you know that's a good thing if we can if we can decrease our reliance on those factory farms that's going to be a good thing for animal welfare for environmental sustainability for farm worker welfare and probably for our own health in the long term so i think there's a lot of benefits to to the transitioning so i mean there would be obviously a lot more stuff to talk about in terms of animal product consumption but um Maybe we should touch on the other uh, key points that you mentioned. So organic farming and food waste were the other two. Uh, Want to elaborate on those a little bit? Yeah. So I mentioned a little bit with food waste. Um, we waste a lot of food. And uh, the figure in the United States is about 25% of all the food we purchase for our home is thrown away. And we might forget about it in the fridge or we don't save leftovers or Various factors can dictate why we throw the food away. But yeah, 25% of all food we purchase. So if you have four bags of groceries and you're coming home from the store, one of those bags is going to end up in the landfill. And food that's sent to the landfill is a major contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. If you add up all of the greenhouse gas emissions from food that's sent to the landfill, it's actually the third largest greenhouse gas uh, generator behind the United States and China. So if it was a country, if you were representing food waste as a country, it's the third largest source of food waste. So, uh, excuse me, third largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. So it's a big, yeah. it's a big deal. We're not just talking about a few, you know, random emissions of methane here and there. It's, it's a really big thing. And I also mentioned how when you throw away a food, all the resources that went into growing the food, whether it's, um, water or, chemical inputs like fertilizers or pesticides or energy consumption to transport the food, that's all essentially wasted when you throw away the food. So food waste is a really, really big deal. And the, the good news with that one is I think people in the fitness world are already familiar with some of the strategies to uh, decrease this one, especially at home, which is getting uh, some base level meal planning for your week. That can be really helpful. And Uh, getting comfortable with using leftovers is another really big one, which I know a lot of people in the fitness world are. They live on leftovers. And uh, another big thing to consider with food waste is being willing to buy vegetables and fruits that aren't uh, visually appealing. So the ugly produce, a lot of produce that doesn't look a certain way at the store, people don't buy it. You know, if they see an apple, it doesn't look how an apple should look in their head. They don't buy it. And ultimately, the grocery store has to discard that produce. Maybe they throw it away. Hopefully, they donate it, but they might throw it away. So being willing as a consumer to buy some of the visually unappealing produce items can be a big step to take at the grocery store, at the farmer's market. 
because most likely it has the same uh, nutrient value. It just doesn't look the same. So that's food waste. And then the other, I mean, probably even more complex than, than livestock production is sustainable farming and how that influences the planet. Um, the goal of organic farming, uh, I brought that up earlier, is to keep soil healthy in the long term. And soil is a really big deal. I mean, soil is the food's nutrient source. You know, all the foods that we grow and buy at the grocery store, their original nutrient source is the soil they grow in. So if soil is uh, depleted and not full of nutrients, we're not going to be able to grow nutrient-rich foods and sustain healthy populations. So we need to keep soil healthy and sustainable farms, they try to keep soil healthy. And a lot of uh, conventional farms can incorporate practices that deplete soil health. So they might rely on burning, they might do monocropping, they might use a lot of synthetic fertilizers and pesticides, uh, they might do a lot of tilling. So there's a lot of things they might incorporate that just deplete soil, deplete soil, deplete soil. So over time you're left with none or just uh, soil that isn't beneficial in any way. So the flip side of that is sustainable farms where they incorporate all sorts of practices like minimal tilling. They might use animal waste in a, in a way that can build organic matter over time. They use uh, composts and green manures. They might utilize crop rotations and grow a variety of foods. Uh, so there's a lot of things that sustainable farms can do to keep uh, soil healthy in the long term. And I mean, along with that is the whole world of pollinators, too. So a lot of the practices that benefit soil benefit pollinators. And we need to keep pollinators around for our food supply. If we eliminated pollinators uh, off the planet tomorrow, all sorts of things would go into disarray. But about 30 to 40 percent of our food would be gone because they're dependent on pollinators. And we need to keep them healthy as well, along with soil. So, yeah, fi finding out if there are any sustainable farms in your area, whether it's organically grown or something similar, that's a really, really big deal because those are the farmers we want to support and hopefully make more accessible and normal. And uh, I think that's really going to be the future of food is those kind of sustainable farmers. Right. Uh, the, the only question I have about uh, organic farming is that um – some counter arguments that I've heard is that um, organic farming practices, uh, because they use less pesticides and things of that nature, they require much larger spaces to actually facilitate plant growth um, than conventional farms. So on the net balance, it's actually less environmentally friendly. Uh, have you heard that argument? I have. And a couple of thoughts about that. First off, that tends to only happen uh, early on when a farm shifts to organic. So if there's a conventional farm and it transitions to organic, in the first several years, it, it might fall into that category where you need a, a lot more land to produce the same amount of food, which isn't the most efficient thing ever. However, long longer term, so beyond the first few years, as as you start to help to kind of rebuild the soil and make it more productive, you can eventually have a plot of land that is equivalent to a plot of organic land that's equivalent to a plot of conventional land in the long term. So I do think 
That's true, but only in the short term. And I think long term, I don't think that argument holds up as well. Um, plus, I mean, getting very big picture with it, I, I you get into some other uh, big questions about sustainable food production for uh, a growing population. So let's say, for example, that it does take a lot more land with organic production to produce the same amount of food. Well, what it, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think it's only really an issue when you have to grow more and more food for uh, uh, a skyrocketing population. So I think, I think we just have to kind of start to ask ourselves, what is the upper limit of, of population that the, the planet can handle? Um, because if, uh, it's kind of like going into credit card debt or something. I mean, in the short term, sure, we can feed a lot of people with conventional farming, um, grow a lot of food, feed a lot of people. But if it's only sustainable for a very short period of time, I mean, and we eventually have to pay off the debt, then that doesn't seem very sustainable to me long term. So I do, I think it's a valid point to consider. I, I don't, as far as I know, I don't think it holds up long term for farms that switch. And then I do also think it just brings up some other kind of deeper questions about the upper limits of the planet and how many people we can sustain and under what type of, you know, growing and farming conditions. And, and do you have any kind of a proposed solution for that issue? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, no, I, the only solution I would propose at this time is, uh, again, I think it's starting to think about these things. I mean, if, if we're not thinking about them and the population just continues to skyrocket. I mean, there are, last time I checked, there are about 218,000 new mouths to feed every day on this planet. So that's a, that's a rapidly growing population. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely not one to say, well, we need to put a cap on how many kids people should have or anything else. I don't think that's necessarily effective, but, you know, just thinking about the role we play on the planet and to a future generations and what, what is most sustainable and, and that type of thing. So starting to think about it and learn more about it and try to make choices that feel good for you and your set of values. Right. Cool. And, uh, well, um, we actually almost went on for an hour and there would be actually a lot more stuff to talk about. We didn't even, didn't even touch on, for example, seafood, uh, didn't touch on some, some, uh, ethical, uh, kind of questions, ethical dilemmas, uh, for example, the consistency of, of your, your ethical views, not, not yours specifically, but just, just of a person's in general. So for example, if someone is against, um, meat consumption, but is consuming dairy or eggs, or if someone is entirely vegan, but is wearing, uh, clothes and things like that made of animal products. So how consistent do we need to be? These are all super interesting ethical questions. And I don't know, maybe someday, um, we, we could talk again. Uh, maybe we could set up a, like a, a debate or some, some, some kind, someone who holds a, up uh, the opposite views on organic farming or something. That could be interesting. But maybe as a, maybe as a last question, I'm curious, how do you personally eat? Uh, are you like as a, as a person interested in fitness and also sustainability? Uh, how, how do you eat personally? Yeah. The, well, before I answer that, um, I, I, I would love to have a part two of this. There are so many other topics I think we could chat about. And yeah. 
I I love that. I like the idea of bringing up bringing up counter arguments and and other ways to think of it too. Because uh, like I said earlier, I mean, I don't I don't have all the answers, and I'm always looking to uh, take in more information and, and reconsider my point of view. So I think that would be cool. We should do a part two. Part two. Uh, so awesome. In terms of how I eat, uh, you know, it, my it, my diet doesn't fit neatly into one category as well as it used to. Um, for many years, it was pretty much a hundred percent vegan diet. Um, I, I'm, I would say it's a, if somebody followed me around right now and looked at what I was eating, it's a mostly vegan diet. And I mean, getting into more details with that, it, I try to really emphasize, um, some of the more environmentally efficient food groups. So those are things like, uh, tubers and roots and legumes. I try to really eat a lot of those food groups. So tubers, potatoes, um, sweet potatoes and roots like carrots and, and beets and parsnips and things like that. And the whole legume food group, lentils, black beans, chickpeas, all those things. Those are some of the most environmentally friendly foods to produce. So I try to really eat a lot of those. I try to go easy on tree nuts, so uh, almonds, walnuts, pistachios, cashews, those kind of things. I Those can bring up, um, especially conventionally grown, tree nuts can be problematic to the environment, and I, I don't think building a diet around those foods as a calorie source is, is very environmentally friendly. So I try not to go uh, go crazy with tree nut intake. Um, but yeah, so every so often I'll have some eggs. I, I try to get pasture raised eggs, same with dairy. I try not to make it a staple in my diet. Uh, yeah, some of those are, I guess, some of the foundational things I do with my diet. Awesome. Uh, did you consume any kind of uh, protein supplement or anything like that? Uh, yes. Yeah, I do. Um, I go in phases. I'll do it a lot in my shakes and then I kind of take a break for a while. But I do. I, I love protein supplements. I've been using them since I was about 14 years old. Um, I, I try to look for uh, either like a pea protein or hemp protein um, or like a blend or something like that. There's uh, yeah, there's a, there's a plenty of brands now that, that uh, produce those kind of protein powders and they taste pretty good too. So yeah, I like those. Right. Awesome. Cool. Then... Um... Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time. This was really awesome. And then, yeah, we will uh, keep in touch on potentially uh, bringing together a part two. That would be that would be awesome, and I think the listeners would um, would love it too. So maybe just mention people where they can find you or any kind of resource that you want them to check out. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the most uh, the most up to date information you can check out on uh, RyanDAndrews.com. It's my website. I got a free ebook there if you want to check it out, and that has all my social media links and I have a bunch of different articles and um, a certification I helped write with Precision Nutrition, so you can probably find something I did on precisionnutrition.com. Hey guys, I just want to tell you again that your inputs for this podcast will help it grow more than anything, and your requests, ideas, and comments will contribute to awesome content going live on this channel and podcast more than anything. So if you want to contribute, the best thing you can do is to go on Facebook and look up Sustainable Self-Development. You'll find both the page and the Facebook group that is dedicated to discussions and ideas being thrown around. Go there and note down your comments about what kinds of topics 
or guests you want to be featured on this podcast and YouTube channel in the future. Just keep in mind the general theme of this podcast and my YouTube channel, which is to help people becoming their best selves in terms of lifestyle as it pertains to fitness and general personal development. This podcast is really dedicated to self-improvement, both physically and mentally. So keep that in mind. So thanks again for tuning in and see you next time.